would please this morning to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Hallelujah. So uh, let's uh, be reminded about our deal, right? We have a deal. We do. We have a deal. The deal is that you give me good response as I preach and teach. And I, my part of the deal is if you do that, I won't go preach the baguettes of the Bible. <laughs> right? And no, you know, it really does help me. It, it, it helps me. When I, when I can feel the congregation, we're connected and folks are engaged. But you know what? It helps you. Helps you. You know, as you're active and you find a good place to say amen, you say amen. You follow along. You're engaged. That helps you keep your mind off the grass that needs to be mowed and the flower beds that need to be weeded and all the stuff you got to deal with after you leave here, right? Amen. So, Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Father, for this moment. It's been ordained before the very foundation of the world. And we're so glad, glory to God, to get to be around the Word of God, to break bread together, to hear the Word of God preached and taught. We approach it today with honor and excitement and with a heart to receive and to be changed by it. And Lord, I thank you that for me that you help me. God, I can't, I can't be a pastor without your grace. I can't, I can't function in that anointing in office without your Holy Spirit helping me. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, you're right there to do it. Speak through me, think through my mind. Glory to God for the people's help and benefit. On their side, Father, I'm believing again that they are locked in and ready, receiving, and willing to be affected by the word. Uh, because it's the word that feeds us. It's the word that renews our mind. It's the word that enlightens our mind and our hearts. It's the word that is going to keep us anchored in these last days. And we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as the Lord's just seemed to lay out some things before me in terms of what he would have me to minister on, this week I'm going to talk to us about uh, Palm Sunday, you know, the, the, you know, leading up to Easter, some things. I don't give you the punchline just yet. Then my dad will be ministering next week. But then the Sunday after that, I, I do feel like I've finally been released. I've been wanting to get there for a while. I'm going to begin a series, Lord willing, uh, as he helps us on the subject of marriage and family. Amen. Marriage and family. And uh, so that's going to be good for, good for everybody. Amen. Glory to God. God wants you to have a, a healthy family, a sweet family, a uh, a household that's got heaven in it. Amen. Uh, amen. And not the other word. And uh, so praise God. So, and you know a lot of people out there that are struggling in their marriage. Struggling in their family. Struggling raising children. All of that kind of thing. And so be a great time to invite them. Bring them. Let's believe God to do great things in families, marriages, children, households. Uh, as we launch out into that series. Praise God. All right, Luke chapter 23, we want to get down to verse number 44 and read to uh, verse 46, and then we're going to jump over to John's gospel and read something here. And these, both of these passages have to do uh, with moments where Jesus, our Lord, is hanging on the cross. And uh, praise God, in uh, Luke chapter 23, 44, it says, And He said unto them, These, well, I'm in the wrong chapter there, that's 24, forgive me. Glory to God, there we go. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Uh, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, 
into thy hands I commend or I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. What's that mean, he gave up the ghost? It means he died. Yeah. Amen? Uh, that means he died. So go over to John's Gospel, John chapter 19. And let's see something that John recorded in his account, witnessing his Lord, his Master, his Savior on the cross. And we'll find verses 28 through 30. 28 through 30. And it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now there were set there a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with the vinegar, and they put it upon hyssop, and they put it to His mouth. And Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head, and He gave up the ghost. What's that mean again? He gave up the ghost? That means he died. Praise God. Today I want to talk to you about the death of Jesus. The death of Christ. Why it's important. Really the death of Christ is the hallmark, bedrock event. Amen. It really split time. Didn't it? Between A.D., B.C. and A.D. Glory to God. It was an earth-shaking Humanity game-changing moment in time. Now next Sunday we'll talk about another one of those. Amen. About the resurrection. About he didn't stay dead. And that's great. Oh my gosh. Praise God. But uh, as much as we do and should and will celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... We need to have a, a, a firm foundation laid in our hearts and our understanding about why He died, why He had to die, what was accomplished in His death, what would have happened if He didn't die, right? right. We're talking about, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. You can't go to heaven unless you believe and say that. That Jesus, that we read about in the Bible, He lived and that He is and was the Son of God. Well, if you believe that, then you believe that He is God. He is God. Do you believe Jesus that walked the dusty streets of Nazareth is God? Incarnate, manifested in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. Then you know what you believe? You believe that God died. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The theologians want to arm wrestle over this, but the Bible's clear. If you read it carefully, Jesus died in every way someone could die. In every way. And He had to, if He didn't, we're still in our sins. The big beef theologically, not sure that you care about this, but uh, praise God. But the big arm wrestling match is not whether or not Jesus died physically, that's obvious. Or even died in His soulish nature. But did Jesus die spiritually? That's where you get some pushback. Amen? But listen, friend, if Jesus did not die spiritually, then you cannot be alive spiritually. Think about that. If Jesus did not suffer for you in spirit, then you in spirit can enjoy redemption. You could have some benefit in your body, you could have some benefit in your soul, but your spirit's still lost. The Bible says, how do we know, Pastor, 
that Jesus not just died physically, and He didn't just suffer in His soul, but that He died spiritually. Well, number one, you have to understand what spiritual death is, and I'll tell you. But the Bible says so plain, so clear, that Jesus became sin for us. The Bible does not say that Jesus carried our sins for us. It didn't say that He just suffered for our sin. It says that He was made sin with your sin in mind. That He became that. Where does that say that, Pastor? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he, be, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know the passion story. You know the utterances of Christ on the cross. Was Jesus just spouting off words in His suffering when He said, My Father, My Father, why hast Thou forsaken Me? If He spoke it out even under the intense suffering, physical and emotional suffering on the cross, but it wasn't true, then Jesus uttered in His last moments something that's not true, which is a lie. And the dominoes fall and, and He can't be our Savior anymore. The Bible says about God that God cannot lie. He cannot. He doesn't have the capacity to lie to us. So if He said, Father, my Father, why hast Thou forsaken me? You know why He said it? Because then the Father had forsaken Him. At what moment would a righteous, holy God turn His back on His own holy, precious, only begotten, pure, sinless Son? The moment He became sin with our sin. Now, when someone sins... The moment, go back to what you know about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They were right with God. They had fellowship with God. It was all rosy. It was all wonderful. It was all cupcakes and palm branches and no devil, no devil you know, dominating them. Uh, no, no curse, no sickness, no disease, no death. But the moment, the moment they ate of that forbidden fruit and they disobeyed God and they committed high treason against God, what does the Bible, it doesn't say it was a gradual effect. No, there was a dramatic... They lost the glory. They lost their righteousness. They lost their authority. They lost their right to be in the presence of God. A great chasm was created between now sinful Adam and Eve and a holy God. And there was no bridge to cross that chasm. God had already told them, hadn't He? In the day that you eat this, of this tree, the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. And they died that moment. Now we know that Adam lived an earthly life of some 940 something years. So physically he, lived, physically he didn't die that moment. But physically he became subject to death at that moment. He began to, to decay and go down at that moment. In his soul, now his, remember that one of his first reactions was they feared. So now fear has gained entrance and their soul has been affected. But remember, when judgment was brought on them, uh, an angel was set at the gate of the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from gaining entrance back to it, lest they eat the, of the, free, the fruit of the tree of life, which would have made them immortal in a sin-filled sin state. Right? He drove them from the garden. 
And from that day until Jesus died, there's this forced separation between God and man. What I'm saying to you is is that spiritual death, by definition, does not mean that you cease to exist. That you're not a spirit anymore. You're a spirit. Every human being out there, the seed of Adam, we're right all, I don't care what your color, what century you're born in, who's out there right now, we're all the seed of Adam and Eve. Amen. And uh, uh, what it means to be spiritually dead, it means that the life of God is not living on the inside of you. You have the nature of sin and the nature of the evil one on the inside. And to be spiritually dead means to have no approach, no covenant, no right of fellowship, no legal standing with God. God has to hold sinful man out here which is the greatest tragedy that ever happened to the human race. Because the very reason God created all of us is because God wanted a really big, sweet family. God is a family God. I'm not going to preach into that too much yet, but God is a family God. He wanted a family. And sin separated Him from His family. So to be spiritually dead means to be exist, but you don't have anything of God in you. You know, one of the things that makes faith mine is that if you did a DNA test, I'm in her. She is of me. Physically, that's what makes her mine. Not that she's good looking like I'm good looking. You know, praise God. Uh, Amen. You are good looking, but that doesn't make you my child. Her being good looking doesn't mean she's your child. That's what I meant to say. That's what I said. Isn't that right? Is that not what I... Let's not... Don't get me off. (laughs) What makes her mine biologically is that we share code, DNA. What makes us a child of God is that God looks at our spiritual DNA and sees Himself in our spirit. People think they're going to go to heaven because God is love. That's believing one of those lies we talked about. God is love. But if he doesn't look with his spiritual microscope and see himself in you, you're none of his. You're not saved. You're not born again. You don't have the life of God in you. And only family are going to heaven. You know, I love all, every human. I love everybody. But not everybody gets to get in my refrigerator. I love everybody, but you show up in my house, I probably, what are you doing here? Just be, right, just because you're you and I, I love you doesn't mean you get entrance into my home. But my family does. My family does. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house. That's what he called heaven. The Father's house. Who comes to the Father's house? The Father's children. We need to help folks. We need to help folks break free from the lie that because they 
even if they want to acknowledge the existence of God and that God made them, they believe they're going to be all right, that they're going to get access to heaven because God is a loving God. It's not true. Sin is still sin. And sin had its effect on every life. And until the bridge is laid and crossed, then, you know, God couldn't just forgive Adam because he loved him. Something, even for God to have any interaction at all with them, something died. Remember, before he sent them out, it says that God, not themselves, he took those fig leaves off of them and he clothed them with the skin of animals. If you got the skin off somebody's animal, that means the animal died. And right up front, God is sending a message to sinful man. Death is the price for what's been done here. You understand that? Death is the price. And so when it says that Jesus gave up the ghost and died, oh, hallelujah. Why do we call Good Friday Good Friday when we're remembering the day someone was murdered? You know, we are not saved because someone was murdered. In the eyes of the Romans, in the eyes of the Jewish Pharisees, they murdered him. But in our eyes, in the Bible's eyes, in heaven's eyes, it was not a murder. It was an offering. It was a sacrifice. Amen. You let this dawn on you. You'll get excited and grateful and thankful. He died. We need to help people understand you're not going to go to heaven because God loves you. You're going to go to heaven because love compelled Him to die for you. Praise God. You know, Jesus came, we know this, right? He came and He did miraculous things. He did miraculous works, did He not? Oh my gosh, He performed signs and wonders in such quantity and in such quality that there could be no doubt that this must be the Son of God. Now, understand this also about the the sayings of Jesus on the cross. You know, when He said, it is finished, when the Bible says in Luke that all things were accomplished, He does not mean all things are accomplished in terms of the requirements for man's redemption. If you notice that carefully, it says, it is finished, that is, that all the Scriptures might be fulfilled. So in Jesus' earthly life, His birth, being born of a virgin, being called a Nazarene, uh, the manner of His death, all the things that the Bible said about the coming Messiah, He had to fulfill that. He had to walk that out. He had to fulfill the law. So when He said, it is finished, He did not say, your redemption is finished. Pastor. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You want to know why? Because even after He was raised from the dead, He told Mary, don't touch me. You can't touch me yet. You can't handle me yet because I have yet to ascend to my Father. What's he talking about? We have to know some things about your Old and New Testament. What he means there is I have yet to ascend to the Father with my blood and to put it on the mercy seat in the temple to seal your redemption. To finalize the payment for humanity's sin. So you can't touch me yet. 
if it is finished means all that was necessary, all the suffering was done, why stay in the heart of the earth in hell for three days and three nights? Why didn't he just die, stay dead 30 minutes, and poof, we're done. It's finished. No, he continued to suffer. He descended into Hades and suffered like a lost damned soul would suffer at the hands of the devil for three days and for three nights. Now that's where a lot of theologians, they can't stomach that. The thought of Jesus, the Son of God, dying spiritually. What do we mean Jesus died spiritually? It means for a period of time He lost His righteousness. That the Holy Son of God became unrighteous. But He had to. If He didn't, we're all still lost. Let's just go drink beer and party and finish it up. Die, because we're all going to die like a dog. Die, dead. No, He had to die. He died spiritually, meaning He was separated from His Father. Not because He was guilty, but because they're working a plan. You get this, right? See, if, if, if part of the punishment... What is damnation? What is, what is hell? Well, all hell is, is a place and an environment where God is absent completely. Amen. Completely. Why is hell dark? Because God is light and He's not there. Why is there no peace? Why is hell a place of torment? Well, because God is peace and you said no to God. So you're going to be tormented. God's a faith God, a love God. That's why hell's going to be full of fear. So if part of the punishment is this separation from God, if Jesus didn't suffer in that as our substitute, then our redemption is not complete. The payment was not fully paid. The penalty was not just physical death. So again, I don't don't want to lose you here, but the Bible talks about three types of death. The Bible teaches three deaths, three types of death. You want to know what they are? Number one is the obvious one, physical death. The other one is spiritual death. What is spiritually dead? It is to be alive, but without God. It's what we call an unsaved person. They're lost. What does it mean to be lost? They are not alive unto God. They have no God DNA. They have not been born again. They have not accepted Jesus. So they're still under Adam's curse. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. I am away from God. I have no approach to God. I have no relationship with God. To be spiritually alive means to be reconciled to God, to be alive unto God, to receive the Holy Spirit and eternal life into your spirit. You receive God DNA. He looks at you. He looks at you and you become like Him inside. You're alive unto God. That curse of sin is removed. That's what it means to be spiritually alive. The third type of death is spiritual death, or I mean eternal death. Eternal death. Now how do you get to eternal death? Well, it's one plus one. If you physically die while being spiritually dead, you are now eternally dead. That's why the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So a person's condition at physical death, are they alive unto God or are they dead spiritually? The alive unto God at physical death to be absent from the bodies to go home to be with Jesus, to be present with the Lord. But to physically die 
in Adam's fallen state. And that is the natural state of every human being apart from Jesus. Are you with me? Is to equal eternal death. And there's no change in it. There's no giving a priest enough money to get them out of that. The Bible doesn't teach purgatory. We got this, we got this one shot. We got this one life. We got this one chance. And we're talking about, y'all all right? Y'all with me? I hadn't lost the death of Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. This, see, the death of Jesus is the hallmark uh, topic uh, throughout the New Testament. It is the foundation upon which the Christian life is based. Without the death of Jesus, uh, our faith is vain. Are you with me? Our faith is vain. You know, really, it's the death of Jesus that separates Christianity from every other religion. Every religion is all about the teaching and the manner of death of the founder. And only in Christianity do you have the founder dying as a substitute. Only, it, you wouldn't think this would be true, but do you know it's true? You, if you want to, I don't recommend it, but if you want to do a deep dive study on all the religions and belief systems of the world out there, uh, none of them offer humanity redemption. None of them. They offer you an ethical system. They offer you a belief system. They offer you a path to nirvana. But none of them give you a solution to humanity's greatest problem, and that is the chasm between a holy God that demands justice and sinful man who's hopeless in his condition. Only Christianity offers mankind a real redemption. And that is only true if Jesus was God and died. Amen. You know, I like this. I saw this in a book yesterday studying. The greatness of the price tells you something about the awfulness of our condition. The preciousness of what God had to do tells you something about how awful and desperate our circumstance must have been. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the good news. Now, what is the good news? We call the good news the gospel, right? The gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Are you with me? And then, of course, about the resurrection. What is the gospel? What are we supposed to be sharing out there with our unsaved friends, neighbors, co-workers, strangers on the street? Somebody died. Somebody died. God died. Did you know that? Did you know that God died for you? That's good news. Because death is the payment, death is the cost, death is the price. All three kinds, physical, spiritual, and eternal, that's the price. So what is the good news? A death was made. A death occurred. Somebody died and he didn't die for himself, he died for you. Listen, Mohammed did not die for you. Buddha did not die for you. There is only one 
who died for you. Why resist Him? Why run from Him? Why reject Him? Who could you say? Who out there could you say? Looked at you in all of your sin, your rebellion, your, your debauchery, your, your, all of that stuff we've done. The lying, the stealing, the cheating, the using God's name in vain, the, the, the fornication, the, the immorality. And to know, to hear that God came and He loved you so much, He did what was necessary to redeem your life, to save your life. He died for you. Anyone that hears that and rejects it is worthy of what's coming. Nobody's going to point their bony finger at God and say, you can't do this to me. You did it to yourself. You, were, you lived in America. You heard the gospel. You heard the good news. Come on in Paducah. I don't know how many churches we have. What, 150, 200, 500? I mean, churches everywhere. And now we got, we got podcasts, internet, streaming. And I pay, I pay for my messages to be seen on people's feeds Right? There's just no excuse. He died, everyone. And it's, I know it's so simple. I know it's just, we just get so used to it, singing about the blood. But if I came at you with a knife, you, you blood, oh, well, not, not my blood. We sing about the blood, and we should have faith in the blood, sing in the blood. But that's blood. That was His blood. That was His life. He had a life. Feelings, aspirations. He loved the Father. He, he, he's a person. And He gave it up. He laid it down. Because I cussed and lied and sinned. And more than that, because I had to sin. I was born with the sin nature in me as a descendant of Adam. And I have no hope. I have no remedy. And God can't forgive me just because He wants to. You know, you think about it, God's just not a father though. See, that's His problem. God had a God-sized problem. You know, if you love someone, you just forgive them. I forgive you. But saying that to Adam doesn't fix his problem. Because God's also a just judge. He's the judge of all the world. He's a righteous judge. I mean, what if you had a son, but you're also the county judge? And your son comes before you having committed a high crime misdemeanor. <laughs> And he comes before your court while out in the hallway as a father, that judge can go, son, I want you to know I forgive you. You're forgiven. I forgive you. But in the courtroom, that can't equal getting out of justice. Do you understand that? We got to tell people, well, I believe I'm going to go ahead and you know, God loves me. Sweetie, yeah, he does. But your problem is more than that. God can't forgive on the basis of love alone. The Bible says the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, is death. Death. You ought to say to that person, you know what, let me tell you, you may not know how much God loves. Did you know that He loves so much that He gave? His only begotten Son? And in the gift, it wasn't a gift where he walked around the planet and was a good guy and did miracles. No, the, he did all those wonderful things, like I said earlier, but that was not his greatest assignment. Right, 
working miracles, feeding multitudes, raising the dead, opening blind eyes. He, he did all that. That was all wonderful. There's purpose in it. God was glorified. He proved He was the Son of God. But if that was all He did, He fell short. The, the biggest thing, the highest accomplishment, the biggest assignment on His life was to die. Jesus was born to die. He set Himself, as the Bible, the Scripture said of me, that God has given me His Son, God, a body of flesh that I might offer it up as a sacrifice. We have to go further and let the sinner know that yes, God loves them. Yes, He's not mad at them. But you have to take unto yourself the death. You have to appropriate the death. Amen? For yourself. And if you don't, if you don't confess your sin and take Jesus as your Lord, love won't reach you far enough. Jesus said, no man will see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You may know this, but the world out there does not. You know that? We need to help them. We need to help them. Praise God. It is through Jesus' very death. The death of Jesus is the bridge built. Now here is another lie people believe. Because Jesus died, we're all good. All of us are good. No, we're not all good. Individually, we have to repent. Individually, we have to acknowledge our sin. Individually, we have to give our life to Him. In service. In faithful worship. We have to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough that He died. Amen. Praise God. You know, Jesus' death was not an accident or an afterthought. But you realize the death of Jesus is the culmination, the, the final scene, the climactic event of a plan that He and Jesus put in place before the world was created. The Bible calls Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. They concocted this plan. They took responsibility for man's sin before man was created. You could say, how could, there be, how could God create Adam knowing he would fall? Because he took responsibility in choosing ahead of time to, to be the death. To die for man. That's why. Before Adam ever fell, God saw he would. And said, Jesus said ahead of time, I will pay for it. I will pay for it. But that doesn't benefit you unless you individually yes. receive Him. His death doesn't benefit those who reject Him. But for those who receive Him. This is our mission. You know, you don't have to state it like I'm stating it. But you've got to tell people love ain't enough. Amen? You know, the Bible says that the death of Jesus was so consequential and significant. That it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that had they known, had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified him. They would not have killed him. <laughs> this was a covert op, a classified op. And it took millennia, 4,000 years of human history from the fall to the cross to get that plan knocked out. And Satan 
Satan fell right into the trap, didn't he? Right into the trap. He danced. He rejoiced. We got him now. He's on the cross. They mocked him. They scoffed him. They beat him. They, they crucified him. And all the while, they're fulfilling scriptures that are centuries old. <laughs> oh, come on. I can see that maybe you're... Uh, lose, I'm losing you a little bit, praise God. Let me just close with uh, what is the death of Christ? What did the death of Christ accomplish? Amen. Amen. Well, first and foremost, the death of Jesus is a substitute. It's a substitute. What's a substitute? Stevia is a substitute for sugar, right? It's that instead of. Listen, sweetheart, I don't hope that I have to spend all afternoon convincing you. You're a sinner. You were a sinner. You broke God's law. You violated His standard. How many of you ever stole something? Even a pen from the office. What's that make you? How many of you have lied before? I didn't see your hand go up. He just did it. No, no, I'm just kidding. I just pick it on. I mean, even, even withheld, like a little white lie. How many of you have lusted after a woman or a man? You don't have to raise your hand up on that one, but you probably did. So how many of you, you, you disobeyed your parents? Dishonored your parents even once? How many commandments have we broken? How many of you took the name of the, Lord, name of the Lord in vain? How many of you, you've put something in your life in a place more important than God? That's an idol. That's idol worship. You're an idol worshiper. So what have we found among this holy group? We got liars, thieves, adulterers, Blasphemers, idolatry worshipers. James says, he that offends, even in one point, is guilty of the whole thing. And the wages of sin is death, physical, spiritual, and eternal. So what is the death of Christ? Are you getting happier about this yet? It's a substitute. It's he... Instead of me. It's, it's Him instead of you. He suffered physically by His stripes so that you don't have to be sick. He was tormented in His mind. The chastisement of his, our peace was upon Him. He suffered in His soul. So that you could have the mind of Christ. He became sin and was separated from his father. So that you could be joined to his father. He became unrighteous so that you could be made righteous. He suffered at the whipping post. He bled. You'd have seen his organs that day. They, I don't get graphic with you. But it was him. He instead of me. 
This is the gospel. This is what he is asking us to accept. First, that we were deserving of that. We had that coming. But when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it becomes he instead of me. Come on. That's good news. In America with all our problems and people with all their weirdness, this is what they need to hear. You go in and you can see people advertising, I hate myself, I hate myself, I hate myself. Wearing outfits they ought not wear. Tatted and pierced to the hilt. They're just telling you, I'm broken. Can you see I'm broken? I'm a sinner. Can you see I'm a sinner? Look, we have to love people past. We have to love people past their tats, their piercings, their sins, their immorality, their weirdness, their perversion. We have, we, God saw past all your stuff. He saw past all my stuff. The good news is say, just accept Him. He's already done it. It's not like He has to do it again. It's already done. So His death is a substitute. Aren't you glad? His death is a substitute. His death is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, an offering for sin. The Bible calls the death of Jesus a ransom. He said, I did not come to serve to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. What's a ransom? A payment. So the death of Christ is a payment. What good news to know. You don't have to suffer under guilt anymore. You don't have to live under that black cloud of shame. You don't have to have a messed up mind. And even as a Christian, people do this. Listen, don't carry around guilt anymore. Your past is gone. Come on, your past is gone. Hallelujah. I'm a new man. You're a new man. Glory to God. No more guilt. No more shame. No more punishment. I don't have time to preach about being redeemed from the curse. But listen, no, no more curse. No more curse. No more sickness. No more disease. By His stripes you're what? You're healed. He became poor that through His poverty we might... No more lack. No more want. No more poverty. The price, you feel like you owe a debt. That's because you did, you do. But He paid it. Your life's been ransomed. i got two more of these. The next thing the Bible says His death is, is it's a propitiation. That's a big homeschool word, right? Propitiation, big theological word. All that means, the word propitiation means something that turns wrath away from. And the Bible calls the death of Christ a propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. Our sins invoked the wrath of God upon our life. And today, Ephesians says, the wrath of God abides upon the disobedient and unbelieving. Today. But that's not us who are born again. Oh, now that's not a license to sin, sweetheart. It's not a license to sin. But the wrath of God was stored up. God was angry. The Bible says in 
God, God's angry with the sinner every day. And he's, he's, just, he's just waiting because we sinned against him. But the death of Christ turned God's wrath away from us. Amen. Building that bridge for the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the family nature of God, the father heart of God to come into our life. God's not mad at you anymore. God's not mad at the sinner anymore, but they have to accept Him. His life is a propitiation, a turning away of God's wrath. You ought to read Isaiah. It's a short chapter, but the Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. See, in that moment on the cross, this may be hard for you to accept, but that's what the Bible teaches. God let Him have it. He poured all of His anger, all of His indignation, all of the punishment for all of mankind's sin, past, present, and future, in one man, in one moment, in three days and three nights on the cross, He let Him have it. And it pleased the Lord, the Bible says, to do that. Why? Because He saw past it. He saw what was being accomplished, what was being done. Lastly, Lastly, the Bible says the death of Jesus is a reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is, right? That's when you and your spouse have it out. But you come back together and go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too. Kiss me. Reconciliation. Right? What is reconciliation? It's a getting back together. Only because He died, guys. Only because He died... Is there this chance for there to be this getting back together? Come on. There's been a getting back together between Chris and God. And you and God. The Bible says that we have been given as Christians the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. Part of our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? Help the world have a getting back together with the God who loves them so much He died for them. Amen. I tell you, that's good news today, isn't it? Are you glad He died? I don't want Him to have to do it again. <laughs> Thank God He will never have to. But I'm, I'm so glad. He died in my place. He died in your place. And our lives are different. Forever different. Eternally different. Amen. You can stand up on your feet today. Glory to God. As you do, just, just close your eyes real quick. Is there anybody in this room or watching me online that...